Hello everyone, it's Ahead from the Seafood Panel. We're hosting another interview today and my guest today is Craig Sinclair. He is a proudly working class artist, filmmaker and performer based in Liverpool. His works deal with the themes of nostalgia, grief and domestic perceptions of reality, predominantly using film, oiled pastels, watercolour paints to realise his darkly humorous visions. And we're going to be here today to talk about his first comic book, Sprout. How are you doing, Craig? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So thank you, uh, firstly, for speaking with me today and for sending over a review copy of Sprout. If you were to describe Sprout to... (laughs) Uh, to, to someone what it's a, it's a, a difficult comment to de- describe in kind of a, a few sentences but you know just in a couple of sentences what would be like the elevator pitch for it it's well it's been described as if enid blyton wrote social work reports uh which i think is pretty pretty good that was in a review um it's kind of like it, it looks like a 1950s sort of enid blyton style comic but it's actually uh quite a dark story about uh, abuse and neglect and and loss yes so it's it's one of those i'm trying, trying to struggle for the word there's kind of there's a disjointedness in the way what the story is about in, in comparison to to the art style that you've chosen to employ so I, I was just curious why you chose to chose to use the enid blighton kind of almost storybook style art to tell tell the story yeah well Partly because I think, uh, partly just because I really like 1950s aesthetics and I like that kind of old storybook aesthetic, but then also thinking about what if, you know, those kind of 50s values are kind of, they're a bit whitewashed in, in, in the original stories. They don't really reflect necessarily people's political values or whatever. Not that it's a political book, but the idea of, you know, little England and everyone for themselves and, you know, Brexit in in modern terms so i wanted to do something that kind of reflected this weird parity between how selfish and you know how how backwards thinking people could be back then mixed and and now and present that in an innocent looking way i guess that's really that's it's that's really curious that you've said that because one of the things that did come across to me was one of one of the first characters we come across she says we want to keep everything exactly the way it is yeah. Apart from hanging, we want to bring that back. So it's kind of that yeah. that theme does roll roll through the um, roll through the comic. So it's it, it's interesting that you've you've chosen to use those old school aesthetics to explore that as well. Yeah, it's like the idea of you know keep off the village green. That's just for us. That's not for you. Mentality. Yeah, I think description of using the Enid Blighted Blight. For me, I would have said like this is like Enid Blighton as told by the Mighty Boosh. It seems seems like right. a really bad dream at some points. It goes causing the kind yeah. of like some weird and uh, I don't say wonderful places, but kind of like some very strange places there. So you use kind of a mixture of different art styles in this. So you've used. It, it seems to me like you've you've drawn a lot of the the, the pictures by hand and coloured them in and either felt it or watercolor and you also use digital photography that's been uh photoshopped so i was just wondering why why did you make those choices kind of what influenced influenced those decisions yeah well as far as the the watercolors which is largely the kind of storybook sprout kind of uh nostalgic world that that's just to kind of represent this kind of naivety and um there's an artist i really like called henry darger who is an outsider artist i think 
I think he was, he worked all his life. I think he died in the sixties maybe. And they found this entire catalog of, of weird and wonderful kind of childlike stuff. So there was a bit of that influence, but then there's a kind of a counter narrative about a father and son and the father sends his son rather neglectfully to the shop and um, to buy booze and fags. And that was, as you say, represented with photographs that I then drew over with oil pastels. Um, oh, okay. That was just to evoke. Yeah, That's yeah. It's good. not. Um, it's not. It's di digital photography, but um, yeah, I'm quite old school. I, I like to do things by hand when I can. Um, so that was more to represent. Yeah, just that was to represent kind of different reality or a different perception of reality. But then, as it goes on, y you might find that the point of view, who's point of view we're actually experiencing this through is maybe unclear yeah i think that that is definitely something that comes across in the story and it's a fairly short comic but it's one of those ones where i had to read it a few through a few times and i'm still not sure if i i get it but i think i've got a firmer grasp <laughs> on it in terms of which perspective you're reading the story from whether it's from sprouts whether it's from the father's point of view and that you know that's that's it's a really it's it's a really smart way that you play with perspective there's so it's, it's really refreshing to come across an artist that does use kind of like the old school methods i've spoken to a lot of a lot of the, the creative i've spoken to recently a lot of them do still work with like pen ink and paper but the the ease of working digitally i think holds a huge amount of attraction to a lot of artists so it's it's really you know my initial instinct was you know the, the photography stuff oh you've just gone into photoshopped and you know put some some layers on top of there but you you did paint over those as well was that a bit of experimentation that is that something you've done before or was that something you specifically decided to do for this project uh, yeah it's kind of a new thing that i've been trying out and i've i've been doing some artwork around that again like i'm obsessed with with the idea of nostalgia and how even the definition originally of nostalgia is like a sickness it was kind of a medical term i think for sailors who were feeling so overwhelmed by being away from home so the idea of nostalgia really fascinates me as this thing of like really wanting to reach back but then also is it is that a positive thing you know possibly not and you know again reaching back into the 50s thinking it's all picket fences but then people's values and you know things issues around you know xenophobia and and the idea of of helping others and how those things were very very you know people had very wrong views about those things in my opinion so the idea of re reaching back but get, then getting bitten by the past you know and the idea of a layering over things makes it kind of unreliable it's like a layer removed i suppose like i've I've been working on um images of chris packets from my youth recently like old yeah old i saw that on your um from the on, your, on your instagram yeah yeah and Although there's something really funny and, and ludicrous about even even taking that as a serious piece of art, there's also the idea of of you know a copy of a memory of a of a copy or someone else's photo of a memory, and then painting over that. Then there's a, there's another layer in between. There's a kind of I guess the fog of of memory that I find really really fascinating. So I was trying to explore that a bit with the um, with the father son stuff in this book. I think memory it's, it's one of those strange things have you um heard of this book called the rag and bone shot at all so it's um no. it's, it's, it's it's written by a i believe she's a neuroscientist and she she talks about basically it's an exploration of what happens to human beings when their their memories are damaged in some way and one of the things they kind of talk about in the book is how how trying to remember something changes 
the memory of it. And so to, the more often you go back to to remember something, you, you you keep on morphing it in in odd ways so that the actual original thing that you've human memories inherently unreliable in in any in any case. But the more that you go back to to to, to certain moments in your life the actual act of trying to retrieve retrieve that memory actually changes it. So I think there's also something, I thought there was something a little bit about that that was at play in in, in the comic as well. Well, yeah, that, that, that sounds uh, like a really interesting book. And um, it reminds me a little of a thing that I really like, this, this musician that I really like called The Caretaker. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but he... He does. He takes old nineteen twenties ballroom jazz records and cuts them up and makes them more and more kind of um, decayed. And it's a little bit like the music in The Shining, you know, in the ballroom. Um, but it's kind of it's like this distant, echoey, twinkly piano and jazz stuff. But he he's his whole sort of remit is he's exploring the idea of kind of Alzheimer's or you know degenerative brain illness and the idea of of a, a memory that's been transformed or misremembered and and it, yeah I love it because it's really creepy on the one level but also quite it's got quite a lot of humanity to it on another yeah it's it's great stuff and I listened to that a lot while I was while I was making the uh, comic building on that on that kind of there are a lot of creepy moments in the story is that something that that features in a lot of your work i mean i i did see your um your short film accidental warlock and there are a lot of creepy <laughs> horrific moments in that so i was just wondering where that that love of creepiness and like horror comes from as well yeah it's probably it's from possible you know bad parenting when because <laughs> in the 80s i feel like people didn't care what their kids watched and you know to some degree they did my, my parents but I, I had a cousin who was really into horror, and, and I remember my dad showed me a Razorhead. Uh, oh wow! Lynch when I was ten. Oh, okay, that's um, a little too young. And that, a little too young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I loved it. I just didn't really get it. But so it's kind of deeply ingrained, like this kind of creepiness. Um, yeah, there's a there's a thing I'm really proud of, which is like there's a spider monster that has three heads, and they're all the, the heads are all identical old ladies from the north, uh, from the northwest who sort of talking uh you know sort of i love kind of yeah northern dialect and i'm really proud of that as a as a sort of horror creation yeah i think that's yeah there are a lot of memorable monsters me- memorable characters in the in in the book uh and that that's the spider creature was uh definitely one. i'm really glad that you've mentioned the north because it does feel like a me personally i very i've got a very strong sense that this was a story set in the north of north of england and yeah you know, there's just I think there's certain things about the, the way that the, the characters talk to each other in the, in, in the dialogue. And I don't know that something also came across in the art. And I was just wondering how deliberate a decision that was, or was it just something that, you know, you're from the North, you're going to set the story, story in the North. No, it's kind of, it's intertwined with, with who I am really. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a little chem- chemical town in the Northwest of England called Witness, um, which is, famous for rugby and for creating uh, Mel C from the Spice Girls. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and not a great deal else. And I, when I was growing up, it was one of the kind of places you really want to escape from because there was not much to do apart from a explore kind of, you know, explore abandoned bits of wasteland. And But I actually really, I, you know, like we say about nostalgia, I actually look back very fondly on all that. And, um, and there's something about small towns... There are some things about small towns like that that I really 
love and miss because uh, I live in Liverpool now, you know, which is very different. But yeah, it was a very deliberate. I mean, everything I do really is kind of set round here somewhere because it's part of my identity and the, the only way I know how to write really. Before I start asking you about the scripting process, I, I just wanted to kind of compliment you on 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 some of the the dialogue and the gags in there. I think one line that uh, particularly caught my eye was "griddled poo." So I think you've you've just yeah you've got a really great. great <laughs> You've got a great ear for these kind of like gags and like, you know, the timing of them was really, was really great. So I was just wondering, is, is that like a common phrase um, up north or is it that something, something, uh, something of your, your own creation? Um, no, it's, it's my creation, but <laughs> let's hope it takes off. Yeah, no, I just, um, I really like, um, I really like, I, you know, I love comedy and I love, I love the blend, blend of, of horror and comedy and I, I have done ever since I was a kid that's you know that's kind of what I'm really really interested in in exploring so I'm really thank you very much for saying that you really enjoy griddle poo yeah I think that was something about that it's it, it's a very it creates a very evocative image in um in, in one's head so yeah I just I thought that was two brilliant words uh well two words brilliantly put together so yeah let's talk a little bit about your scripting process so i know you've got a background in filmmaking did you write out a full script for this or did you start with you know just a, a rough outline kind of how how did you go about writing writing sprout well i i originally wanted to a couple of years ago I, I had an idea to make it as a kind of short film and it was not really sprout wasn't really part of it it was about the idea of a kind of quest but with an alcoholic father sort of bumbling through this quest with a carrier bag full of pies and miniatures you know liqueurs or whatever and he goes through the forest looking for his son who's been kidnapped by the fairy folk from a midsummer night's dream that was the original idea but then and i'd forgotten about that to be honest and then i started thinking of of the idea of initially just making a sort of funny a funny sort of Enid Blyton gone a bit wrong and you know a bit sweary and dark and so i started exploring that and i was essentially making i'd i'd set myself the task of making four panels a day almost like a newspaper strip like a lot of the the things in there could be a standalone thing you know just four panels could tell one little story for some of it. And then gradually the idea of of this other narrative started to filter in. And I was thinking, oh, because the film would have been far too difficult to make with no money, I thought, oh, maybe I can make the film, you know, th- those ideas, sort of borrow them and, and put them in uh, this. So that was kind of where that came from. But no, it was, it was almost like um, I'd set myself the thing of, of four panels a day. That was my... You know, I had to meet that deadline every day. But then it was kind of like a, a game of consequence where I was like, oh, well, now he's he's near a circus. What can I do with the circus? And of course, the natural conclusion there is a giant <laughs> spider monster with old yeah. ladies' heads. <laughs> so you, you didn't, um, you didn't, <laughs> yeah, you didn't kind of like, you didn't kind of um, start off with a conclusion in your head. You were just trying to get those four, those four panels out and then see where your subconscious creative mind took you then yeah kind of with the father-son story because i had that idea as a film anyway the last i don't want to spoil what happens but the last kind of page where there's an image of something that speaks that shouldn't really be speaking that was kind of always in my head from the from that hangover of the film idea but in terms of sprout's narrative 
the one thing I knew was I really wanted it to be, I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler, but I don't mind this, that it's a bit like, you know, he, he, he's going to rescue this girl who's trapped down a well. And then I was thinking about the idea of all the emails you don't answer in a day and how it can make you feel really guilty and anxious. And, you know, I was meant to, I was meant to paint the, the spare room, but I haven't painted, you know, all those things that niggle away at you and eat away at your, your sort of well-being. And then how you just forget to do them. And I thought the idea that he says he's going to rescue a, a little girl who's trapped down the well, and then he just yeah. forgets about <laughs> it. Um, there was something really hor- horribly funny about that to me. And, you know, quite quite prescient with, as I say, like the, all the stuff. I don't know about you, but I feel like, oh, Christ, I didn't I didn't reply to that email. I, I need, you know, in the middle of the night or, you know, you have a sore tooth, but you'll let it go for like three months before you'll see a dentist, those kinds of things that pile up. Yeah, I think the procrastination monster lives quite you know quite heavily on my shoulder <laughs> as well you yeah <laughs> I, I read a i was listening to my favorite murder which is a, a quite famous podcast and what one of the hosts on there said that you know sometimes with procrastination you kind of like when you do something you get a high from doing it so when you procrastinate the high that you get from eventually doing the task that you've been putting off is is quite big so i think that's a little bit part of why i I tend to put things off as well which actually kind of does come neatly to to my next question so you're you do live performance you make films paint you write comic books you write you write films how do you manage your time how do you manage to kind of like keep all these different creative projects turning over and not letting them stall because you know that's another thing i'm i'm always curious about when i speak to creatives because i do a bit of writing myself and sometimes it just seems like an a herculean task to you know to open up the laptop and start typing away so how do you go about you know managing the time and remaining uh, productive yeah that is a good question well i've got, I've got a, a nine-year-old son also who's in, yes. in the book so it's that's difficult fitting things in around parenthood but the the only way for me is to to treat it like you know work even when it's when not necessarily a mon- monetary thing just to try and set sort of like office hours or little little goals like i have to make a piece of art today or half you know it's, it gets more difficult with film things because you're relying on other people on the scale i'm i'm making stuff anyway you know you're relying on people giving up their free time as an act of goodwill so that can go really awry but in terms of my kind of art practice it's it's just through trying to you know batter myself into submission with because i'd much rather just watch telly or play video games or read comics or it's like pinning myself down to like today I'm going to work between nine and five like it's a day job and make a load of art or or write a load of stuff or that's the only way for me as a someone who's in predominantly the natural state is is extreme laziness <laughs> yes uh, I think you and me both yeah I've been doing a lot of, lot of <laughs> I've been doing a lot of job applications recently and that you know one of the questions asks is you know have you got any health conditions that might affect your interview process and I, I'm tempted every time <laughs> to write down my extreme laziness but I don't think that'll be <laughs> I don't think that'd be particularly persuasive to, to to get me into the um the zoom door now it is uh, as it is rather than the, yeah, the yeah. front door of an office well I think it should be recognized as a um as a real real thing <laughs> that affects millions of us 
I think it, they, there are there are doers and then there are people that think about doing and I'm firmly in the <laughs> second category uh, unfortunately yeah. so kind of interesting you treating it kind of like uh, as as a day job you you mentioned I mean your answer you'd rather be reading comics or films so I think you know I, I, I do want to ask you what comics did you read grow, uh, growing up and how has that if at all kind of affected the stuff that you're you're creating at the moment um, well Growing up, it was all just like all the all the superhero stuff that everyone loves as kids, and I do still love all that. But you know, as I got a bit older, Alan Moore is the is the man for me. You know, his stuff, Watchmen, I think, is my favorite book of all time. Never mind comic book. And yeah, a lot of 2000 AD, a lot of the sort of British sci-fi stuff. And more recently, I've been reading a lot of uh, Criminal. I don't know if you know that Ed Brubaker's. Um, yeah series yeah. i love that love that um jason aaron all his stuff uh in marvel uh, i'm really into and i've most recently i reread all of the league of extraordinary gentlemen by alan moore and in, in fact i know alan moore's daughter leah who's also a very talented comic creator and through one thing and another you know she's been extremely helpful in in getting the word out about sprout and Alan Moore ended up with a copy of it and really, really enjoyed it, which is sort of like, uh, you know, the kind of moment where you realize. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, you can, you can, I can die happy now. Seriously, like, um, even, even when I just knew that he had a copy, even if I never heard if he liked it or not, that was, that was a, a major moment you know in life for me but then the fact that he really did like it was was wonderful i think it's always nice when it was when someone you admire admire something that you've done and uh, yeah, i i just want to echo your thoughts about uh leah kind of i've i've met her once or twice she's she's a lovely she's a lovely lady and she kindly you know gave up some of her quite valuable time to speak to me about kind of various projects that i was working on in the past as well so yeah she's you know she's brilliant and she she's a really talented comics creator Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. As as well, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful person. Yeah, uh, you know, both her and her husband do like fantastic, fantastic work in in this sphere. Oh, what is my next question? So you, you talked a little bit about Alan Moore uh, there. Do you think any of that influences any of his influence in the way that God, he's got kind of this very powerful narrative voice that he that you can kind of tell when you're reading like an an Alan Moore comic book. So I was just wondering if that affected your thought process when you went on to create Sprout or any of the other things that you've worked on? Undoubtedly, yeah. I would like to think it's unconscious because I wouldn't want to just try and emulate him or, you know, another one is David Lynch is a massive, massive influence on me, but then I sort of try and, I don't, I don't mind if it ends up unconsciously seeming like you can see the influences there, but I don't try and set out to sort of say, Hey, I like these things. Look, you know, and because I feel like that's uh, that makes for kind of lazy storytelling. But um, especially with with Alan Moore's his use of the kind of meta textual stuff. That's you know it's all throughout all his his work like Watchmen and and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from Hell. He's got sort of things where he's messing with even the notion of fiction uh, in some of those things and the idea of fiction within fiction and I did do a sort of little nod where there's a there's a frame in the book where the little boy is holding the same book that you the reader are holding which I'm really proud of and it sort of would hopefully make you question whether or not what you know how much of this is you know it sort of skews which 
what narrative is this? You know, is I thought Sprout was the thing we were following. Now, which which reality is the is the correct reality? And Alan Moore does that so brilliantly. Yeah, I, I reread Watchmen maybe once a year if I can if I can get the time. Uh, it's just so good. It's a little bit cliche to say it's kind of one of the most important graphic novels, or maybe one of the most important uh, works of fiction um, mm. in the English language. Really, I mean, is you know his his work on that particular piece is is just startling. Mm. So yeah, it's it's not surprising, and it's it's unsurprising how many people mention that as as their favorite graphic novel as, as well. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your your film work. Actually, I really enjoy. I I, I only managed to watch Accidental Warlock uh, mm. today, but um, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was it was a great little short short film. What are your plans in the future to make future films? Are you thinking about more short films or even kind of making a, a dreaded 90, 90 minute feature film. What are your plans for that in the future? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying, for saying that anyway. And um, yeah, I, I, I love making films, but it's, it's a thing that is, I dread it a little bit because, because of the fact that you, you need so many other influences and people to be involved. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, working on a zero, almost zero budget or self-financed scale, a lot of stuff is, is you pulling in favours and things, and it's a bit more stressful than if you had major backing from some company. But that being said, it's still, I still love it. And I'm working on a thing that I was, I was just editing earlier. I'm working on a, a new short film uh, called Blight, which is about a medieval farmer who gets uh, cursed with perpetual hiccups. Um, and it's kind of a it's kind of a horror comedy thing, but but hopefully you know not in a broad way. It's hopefully still very dark. But yeah, the, so the idea of because I don't know if you've had hiccups for a long time, but I mean, it's it's the pits. I started exploring this idea of what if you were cursed to have them forever. So there's that, and and there's also so I I'm in a sort of comedy group called Frightwig, and we've just started making plans to do some shows. We're we're doing the Brighton Fringe next May, which has been delayed. I think twice now and and we've just performed for the first time in in over a year recently and it's great to be getting back into that but that's all it's all kind of in this under this remit of of very dark humor that's the way I like to work I think that's definitely that's something that came across in Sprout and definitely something that comes across in Accidental Warlock as well I also came across you're doing a podcast as well I should have written down the name of it, or you've been featured featured on a, a podcast that kind of remixes stories. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Gothic Banana podcast. That um, uh, yeah, the Gothic Banana. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's uh, Frightwig, the company that I'm with. We do that with our friend Brian, who's over in Ireland, and we take a work of Gothic fiction and and sort of dissect it and compare it to today's climate, and then we we do a, an original bit of writing or a, you know a little script based on in response to the the thing so so far we've looked at Sheridan Lefanu who's a famous gothic irish writer and uh, we've looked at some of his work and i think next we're going to look at um mr james but that's that's a real real fun little thing to do every now and again and you know you end up reading things that you you wouldn't have necessarily read before so that's that's nice Okay, that's yeah. That sounds like a interesting 
podcast I, I didn't have much time to I, I listened to a little bit of it just left all my research to kind of like the last minute That's as right. per usual <laughs> so I only listened to about 10, 10 15 minutes of it but it did it did sound quite good what I get one of the questions I've, I've, I've got here is you've started well your sprout is your first comic book how do you, you you kind of mentioned that you were thinking about using parts of the story for, for a short film how do you decide what's going to go into a film or if you do decide to create a, another comic book in the future, whether it's going to be a comic or a short film or prose, how do you how do you go about making that decision? Is it purely based on budget and whether how many collaborators you, you need to bring in, or is it are there other factors as well? Um, yeah, that that would kind of like what you just said there is kind of the the right answer. It's it's based on on budget and and collaborators and you know how efficient it would actually be to make a film like the sort of ideas that I have. But then also some things are are dictated by the initial idea like sprout you know really has to be a visual thing because i guess it could have been an animation i mean i i did consider making it an animation for like five minutes but then i've i've done animation before and uh, it's so time consuming uh, especially if you're doing it completely on your own it just ends up being a massive headache although you know if any animation companies are listening and and they want to option the rights and <laughs> get in touch but yeah the so the the idea of of the 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 idea itself dictates the thing that it's going to be because this this film that i'm making now it, it's a really silly endeavor because it's a it's a medieval kind of fairy tale type thing and doing that on a shoestring budget trying to make sure you get tele uh, you know pylons out of shot when you're trying to do um some you know, oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. a thing that I'm doing yeah. though to to counteract that is um there's this film called Bait from 2019 that I really love. That's a kind of it's a kind of weird art house comedy film. It's Cornish. It's about a, a Cornish fisherman, and it was all shot on hand cranked old 19 I guess 1960s cameras, which meant that the audio had to all be dubbed on afterwards. And it means it gives it a really strange kind of dreamy quality. And I really liked that. And I thought, well, if there's a plane going overhead when we're shooting outside or you can hear traffic, if I if I double the audio on afterwards, then I'll have complete control of the sound, which will actually, you know, how many sort of short amateur or, you know, self-financed films do you see where the audio is terrible, I thought. So I, that's that's my way of combating that. But that's not to say it's not a really silly thing to be trying to make a sort of period piece with no budget whatsoever. Well, I mean, you've got to, when you're creating something, it's, it's, it's always an artistic risk because it, you, know, you might not have the skills to, to pull it off, but you don't know that unless you try. Mm. And it's kind of, it's, I used to volunteer at, at a art center and one of the, I was on the visual arts team and, you know, the two lead visual art facilitators was, were kind of like saying that this is all a process about developing your skills. And the only way you're going to find out whether you can do something is if, you try it, and if it doesn't work, okay, it's an iterative process. The next pro, you know, the next project that you're going to work on, you're going to have learned those lessons. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, you know, that point you make about sound is so so important. Bad sound can absolutely ruin fantastic visuals. So yeah, yeah kind of yeah, recording the sound separately, I think, is probably a great choice. Hard, hard. It's going to be a lot more work in the edit, yeah, yeah. but I think it's probably going to going to help you make some interesting creative decisions as well. Yeah, 
Well, that's that's the thing as well that like you say about developing skills. So I've I've just been learning um, because of a thing that I want to do in this film, done some test animations using a process called rotoscoping. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's yeah. So I've been learning how to do that by you know drawing over frames of animation, and and I would not have really necessarily done that if I didn't need this kind of effect in the film. So it kind of you know, one thing leads to another in a in a really satisfying way. You know, I've also I've been learning to use Final Cut Pro in order to edit this film, and I've never used that before. And you know, at the end of this film, I'll know how to use that. So that's that's a nice skill that I can take on to you know freelance stuff. So I do. I've done a little bit of film editing, but I just use iMovie, and I'm trying to teach myself how to use DaVinci Resolve. And I just I can't get I can't get my head around like the workflow. I've, I'm so used to using some a straight piece a forward mm. forward piece of software. So that like all the the bells and whistles you get with things like Final Cut Pro and these advanced video editors, sometimes you kind of can you, your head can get turned around, and it's not it's not always as as straightforward as you'd like it to be. So you're kind of good on you to take to take that on. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, uh, as well. Yeah. Sometimes like limitations as well can be so liberating i think you know it's like the more decisions you have to make i think as an artist or a filmmaker or whatever actually the more difficult it is sometimes and the the more the fewer decisions you have you're like oh well it's out of my hands we're just going with this and we're going to make this thing work to the best of its ability you know um like i I like iMovie because it's so sort of um it's so straightforward that you know you don't have the decision of of all the complicated stuff that you get with Final Cut Pro, um. So yeah, I, I like limitations. Yeah, especially kind of when I'm just trying to get a you know, a podcast recording up onto YouTube. I don't really need all the fancy no. dongles that uh, <laughs> something like DaVinci resolves. God, I just need to put a still photo uh, on top of some sound, and yeah, you know, that would do me fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you kind of mentioned you were working on some short films. Are you thinking about making any comic books in the future? Um, yeah, I got one or two ideas, but I kind of had this with Sprout. I really had the thing, you know, I had it burning away in my brain, and like I had this thing of of this self discipline of trying to complete four panels or a page a day, and I want to do something that's um, a bit more like you know, the kind of newspaper comics where it's just like four panels, tell a whole story. Uh, and then I could leave that and not have to, it's like once I've started something, it eats away at me and I have to finish it, you know, bef- before I lose my mind. I want to do something where it can be, it's almost like a comedy sketch in comic book form, you know. So that's that's where I'm going, I think, with that that kind of stuff next um using kind of the similar techniques but and similar narrative kind of techniques but uh something that's more bite-sized chunks that won't eat me away if i don't if i don't have a 23 page book at the end of it you know yeah i think uh, i think you know when i've whenever i'm talking to other people online about creating comics so often you you see these posts on like forums i've got like a 90 page script for this fantasy graphic novel yeah. and like everyone replies they just start off with a full panel gag comic yeah and learn how to kind of like pace your story and pace dialogue because people don't realize how much space words on a on, on on a panel can take up and you do want the images 
themselves to tell a lot of the story, do a lot of the heavy lifting, and you, you know you don't want like reams of like reams of word like covering up the beautiful images yeah. that you've made. So I think yeah, doing those um, four panel, I, I, I'm assuming it's going to be gag comics. That's going to do a lot for your uh, for your dialogue. Uh, editing yeah. <laughs> abilities you're gonna have to cut a lot of uh, words and lines that you you, you you've grown fond to yeah, there yeah. as well well the um i don't know if you know the drunk bakers from viz which is about two two drunk bakers i've not read viz in years right. yeah i can't remember it now sorry yeah the the drunk bakers they they essentially are, are it says does what it says on the tin they're two bakers and they're supposed to have made a similar cake for easter but they're too you know half cut to finish it and it's kind of like these kind of tragic, uh, tragicomic little narratives, and it's just one page, and you feel like you've really gone through, through the mill with them, and it's really funny as well. Um, that's like a great example of of the kind of thing I'm striving for. <laughs> I mean, that's, you, you've got to kind of like aim high and try and do the best work that you can. Yeah. So, just a, a couple of more questions, and I'll I'll, I'll let you go. Yeah. Is there anything that I've haven't asked? about that I perhaps should have either in our discussion of uh, Sprout or any of the other projects that we've kind of been talking about? No, no, not that I can think of. I mean, yeah, I think you 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 seem to really, you know, get what Sprout's about and that's great that that, that comes across. Yeah, and it, it, it's uh, lovely to hear someone's take on it because I'm really interested in other people's takes on what they think is going on in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really did enjoy the enjoy the, the comic book it wasn't what i was expecting it to be which i found you kind of like you look at the cover so i wanted to actually ask you about the cover in the kind of, i've got a digital version in the hard cover is is the actual cover made out of cloth because in the digital copy i've got it kind of it seems like it's made out of like not cardboard but kind of like some sort of fabric is covering it is that the same for the yeah so it's hard copy as well yeah it's not actually covered it's not actually covered with um, fabric but I I collaged the cover onto a old fabric book and then scanned that because for me the idea okay. of it being a facsimile of a 1950s children's book was really important which is why it's the the sort of parental warning is very small which is perhaps irresponsible <laughs> but that's why the parental warning is really small on the back, so it looks as authentic as possible. And then it's this sort of nightmare world that's inside it. You know, the, the end papers I, I did with marbling ink, which is how they did end papers on old books. It was it was really important to me that it looked kind of like the genuine article. So yeah, I went out and you know, there's a I, I just gonna say it's got a, it's got a page at the start that says this book belongs to you know, which is uh, what you'd get in old dandy and Beano annuals and things. And yeah, I. Going back to the beginning with, with the idea of nostalgia, it's important that in people, at least people over a certain age, because I don't know what they do in, in children's annuals now necessarily, but just people of a certain age, it might, that's in itself, that's, they've already started reading it and going on the journey when they open it and see that this book belongs to, and it looks so much like a children's book. I think that's the object of the book is a really important part of the overall project for me these little details that you put in kind of affects the way that you i'd hate to use the word consume but the, the way that you interact with mm. with 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 a story so it's kind of those little those little touches definitely make you think that you're going on going to experience a certain thing and then it goes it turns into into something else which it's always kind of nice yeah so my last question to you is where can people find you on social media the internet all that good stuff if you could yeah. like shout out your um 
social media platforms and stuff like that? Uh, if if you go to my website, which is uh, craigsinclair.co.uk, um, there's a link to my Instagram on there. I think my Instagram is at Mr. Craig Sinclair. And if you look up Frightwig on Facebook, you'll find all the stuff about the live live stuff that we're doing. Oh, yeah, and, and Sprout is available on the website pretty exclusively at the moment. Uh, I, I might put out a digital version, but ideally, you know, the idea of the the object, like like I was saying, is is really important. That's all the questions I've got for you today, Craig. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. It was a really insightful insightful talking to to you about your your, your process, and I, I really did genuinely enjoy reading Sprout to our listeners out there. It's it's a recommend if you can get him. A lot of our listeners, so our our listening demographics kind of weird. We've got a lot of listeners in America, so I'm not too sure if you can ship to the United States. And we've also got a lot of listeners in Russia okay. for some reason. So um, <laughs> email Craig if you're in the United States or in Russia and you you want to uh, get a copy and see if you can kind of uh, ship it. Yeah, ship it over to your node with with Brexit and things like that. VAT and I know a lot of creators are struggling with that at the moment. But yeah, yeah do 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 try and get a hold of a copy if you can. Yeah, we we can work something out uh, to our American and Russian friends. Um, and and thank you very much for 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 the taking the time to chat to me as well. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure, mate. It was my pleasure. Cool. So that's this episode done, guys. I've got. We're going to be. Re- I'm going to be doing another couple of interviews with some other creators. Thank you for your continued support. If you can please follow us on social media and please send us some money via the support link that's included in the episode description as well it kind of helps me keep the lights on okay guys thank you so much uh thanks craig uh let's uh, say bye to everyone bye thank you very much goodbye